We are to live this day with that day in mind. This is the sixth message in the series, Life After Life. The message is entitled, How to Prepare for Your Day in Court. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're continuing our series, actually concluding our series today entitled Life After Life, and we're talking about what happens when this life is over with. What should we expect in the afterlife, and what should we expect when we come to the end of time and the end of the world? And this is, as I said, my last message in this series. By the way, following the Easter presentation next weekend and the Easter services in Frederick, I'm going to start a brand new series of messages called Smart Living. We're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs and learning some things about how to live your life wisely. So you want to make plans to be a part of that the week following Easter. If you've missed any of the messages as a part of this particular series, it's very easy to go to our website at church-redeemer.org. All those messages are archived there for you. It's very easy to get them uh, and just download and catch up on any messages that perhaps you miss. But today, I want to talk to you about this final message, and my title is, How to Prepare for Your Day in Court. I'm going to talk to you about how to get ready for that last day when you and I will meet Jesus. I've been using a little diagram, we're going to put it on the screen here again for you, to help us to understand how human history is moving toward its final day. All of us come into this world, we're conceived in our mother's womb, and at that moment we have life. We believe that life begins at the time of conception, that life is precious. God knows you and knew you when you were in your mother's womb. The prophet Jeremiah makes that very clear. But there comes a moment in time, sometimes around nine months after uh, being conceived, you enter into this world with your birthday, you live a certain number of years, and none of us know how many years we're going to live. It could be few, it could be many. How tragic it was to hear just yesterday of the young uh, NFL football player, I believe with the, I want to say with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, if I'm correct there, uh, who, who lost his life, just 24 years of age. So sad to think about, but yes, death comes to all of us at some point in time. You do not know how long you're going to live. So we have a life that's given to us by God, a certain number of days that we're going to live, and then there will be a time when you will breathe your last breath, your life will be over with. Someone will sign your death certificate, and that will be the end of your life here on earth. But it's not the end. It's the end of your life here, but there's something else that continues. There is life after life. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as soon as you breathe your last breath, the Bible says that you and I are going to go to a place called paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross who asked for salvation, today you will be with me in paradise. So there was the promise given to that person who reached out for salvation and to all of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. We have eternal life in Him. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen when you die. When you breathe your last breath, you will immediately go to a place called paradise. It's an intermediate place, and the only reason it's intermediate is because it's waiting for the ultimate second coming of Jesus and the final judgment. But your eternal fate is settled in paradise as a believer. If you have rejected Christ, if you push God out of your life, there's a place reserved for those who've said they don't want anything to do with God, and that place is called Hades. At least initially, it's referred to as Hades in the book of Luke, and we see that Hades is a place where people are separated from God and separated from the life of God. 
While we are waiting for the final judgment, two things are happening in our world. Number one, the gospel is being preached from the time that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to the right hand of God the Father. The gospel has been preached. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and proclaim my kingdom. And even to, to this day and into the future, the gospel is going to continue to prevail and be preached all around the world with people coming to faith in Christ. Simultaneously with the gospel being preached, evil will increase in our world as well. Don't expect our world to get better. Expect that our world is going to get worse. In fact, the Bible says that we're moving toward a time that will be known as the Great Tribulation. We don't know exactly when that will happen, but there will be a moment in time when things will get not better but worse, and it will lead to this clashing of the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness will be personified by the spirit, not only the spirit of Antichrist, but more than likely from what we can see in Scripture, the Antichrist himself will appear, personification of evil, the book of Revelation refers to the Antichrist as the beast. The Apostle Paul refers to him in 2 Thessalonians as the man of sin or the man of lawlessness, but this would lead to the, the cataclysmic moment of the battle of Armageddon. That battle of Armageddon may actually be a physical battle. We don't know for sure. Armageddon is located in Israel. It's, it's, uh, the actual uh, word Armageddon comes from the phrase Har Megiddo, which means the mountain of Megiddo. And you today can go to this uh, ancient ruins of Megiddo, and you can look out, as my wife and, ha and I have many times, over that valley. Napoleon said it's the greatest battlefield in all the world, and there'll be a clash between light and darkness. And Jesus will return with ultimate victory. He is already the victor. We're not waiting for Jesus to prevail. He has already prevailed, but then all the world will know that he indeed is the conquering king. So we're not waiting. Listen, we're not waiting for Jesus to win. Jesus has already won. Okay. He's already won the victory, and all the world will know, as the book of Philippians says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus returns, it will set in motion the final judgment. The final judgment will happen. At the final judgment, there will be the final, the, the final assignment, no changes those who've already been in paradise will experience the final assignment of heaven. Heaven and earth will combine a new heaven and a new earth, as we talked about last weekend. And those who've chosen to reject God will be assigned to eternal separation from God. But there will be a final judgment. In the final judgment, there are two dimensions. Again, if you missed any of this, go back to last week's message. It's going to make this very clear. The great white throne judgment is the, th the judgment that determines those who are not in the book of life. They're assigned to eternal separation from God and eternal hell that was designed for the devil and his angels. In the Bible, there's a lot to say in the Bible about hell. We haven't, we haven't discussed it very much in this series, but Jesus talked a lot about the reality of the place of eternal separation from God, and that's the great white throne judgment. If you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have to worry about that. Jesus took care of that for you. He took your punishment for you, and so you don't have to worry about that judgment, but there's a second element of judgment that you and I need to be aware of, and it's what I'm going to talk to you about today. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Would you say that with me? The judgment seat of Christ. And so for every believer, 
Are we going to heaven? Yes, we're going to heaven. Jesus secured our salvation. But every believer will have a day in court before Jesus. I want to unfold for you today what that means, this judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ comes from a Greek word called bima, and the word bima means an exalted position. It was often used, for example, in the Olympics when a race was completed. There would be a judge at the end of the race on an exalted platform, and they would assign rewards to those who had won the race. And so we're all running a race. We're running this Christian journey, and we're running so that when we get, as I'll mention in a moment, before our judge, our Savior Jesus, we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words that we're wanting to hear from our judge on that day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. Let me share with you briefly today six things that you need to know about this moment in time. Number one, we need to be aware of the fact that God sees and knows everything about you, everything about us. He knows everything about all of us. All this, it can be sort of a scary thought. It need not be a scary thought. It's simply a fact that you and I need to be aware of. And when you and I know that, that Jesus sees everything about you and I, then it brings us to a place of sobriety in the way that we live our lives. The Bible is very, very clear about this. Job chapter 34, verse 21. For God watches how people live. Read the rest with me. He sees everything they do. Proverbs 15, 3. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Hebrews 4, 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What does God know about you and what does God know about me? God knows the good that you do. He's aware of every time you give a cup of cold water in his name. He's aware of the smallest deeds of righteousness that you do, the smallest aspects of service in your life. When you do it in the right way for the right reasons, he knows the good that you do. He knows your thoughts. Jesus, very clearly, we saw during his ministry, he knew the thoughts of people. He knows our thoughts as well. He knows our attitudes. He understands when our attitudes are pleasing and when our attitudes are displeasing. He knows the motives of our life. He not only knows what we do, but he knows why we do what we do, what's behind our works or our efforts. He knows the words that we speak. Jesus listens to the words of our mouth, and obviously he also knows the evil that we perform or the sins that we commit. God sees and knows everything about you and everything about me. Nothing escapes his view. Number two, entrance into heaven We've talked about this before, but it isn't earned, it's received as a gift. I wanted to take time today to just reinforce this. It really was not necessary for me to give you this point, but I did feel like I wanted to sort of underscore this again. All of us are sinners, amen? All of us have broken God's law. All of us continue to break God's law. And because we're sinners, we deserve eternal judgment. We deserve eternal punishment. But Jesus, the sinless Son of God, out of his amazing love, he took the penalty of our sins for us through his death on the cross. Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died 
for us. And when you and I put faith in Jesus, in his sacrifice on the cross, and belief and faith in his resurrection, we are freely offered the gift of eternal life. You do not earn salvation. You can't be good enough to get salvation. You don't owe God for salvation. He doesn't give it to you on a debt payment plan. No, he says, I'm giving you a free gift. Here's a ticket to eternity. All you must do is put your faith in me as your Savior and Redeemer. I paid the price for you. Accept my gift of salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It says you will be saved. Absolute assurance of salvation. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, made, made right with God, made just as if you never sinned. That's what the word justified means. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So your salvation doesn't, your eternal life and salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. I think we ought to praise him for that today. Amen. <laughs> praise him for that today. Doesn't depend on you. It depends on your faith, just believing what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. Now I'm going to digress for a moment. And there's so many things I could talk about today, but uh, this actually should have been two messages in of itself, but I, I, we needed to move on out of the series. Some people worry about the, an issue called the unpardonable sin. Have I ever committed a sin that God can't forgive? And I have Christians sometimes ask me that question. I'm concerned that I've committed the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin, which the Bible identifies as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I want to set you at ease today. Number one, if you had committed the unpardonable sin, you wouldn't be here today. You would have no desire to be here, okay? Because that represents a hardening of one's heart to such a degree that they care nothing about God at all. And there's only one sin, listen closely to me, there's only one sin that God doesn't forgive, and not because he can't, but because of your choice, and that's the sin to reject his son, Jesus. That's the sin of unbelief that says, I reject Jesus, don't want him in my life. And so when you reject Jesus and push him out of your life, obviously you continue in an unforgiven state. And an unforgiven state separates you from God. And so don't spend your time. Don't let the devil tell you that you've committed the unpardonable sin. Don't let him sit on your shoulder and try to make you worry about, hey, you've done something that God can't forgive. No, I promise you, if you have any inclination toward God at all, I assure you that that has not happened in your life. And it's a very important thing to remember. So we understand that our salvation doesn't depend on us. It depends on Jesus. Can't earn your way to heaven. The judgment seat of Christ is not about your salvation. It's about the reward you're going to experience when you get into the assignment of heaven and heaven on earth, the new heaven and the new earth. Here's the third point for today. After receiving Jesus as Savior, once you've accepted him as Lord and Savior of your life, all of us are called to faithfully live for him and do his works in the world. So as soon as you accept Jesus as Lord of your life, you become a part of his family. You become a part of the family of God. You become a part of the kingdom of God. You become a part of the kingdom, the kingdom enterprise on earth. Now notice the word that I use there. You become a part of, where we get our word partner. 
If you've ever been in business before with a partner, you understand that in business, if you have a partner, you expect your partner to do their part of the work, right? If you're a partner and your partner is not doing their part of the work, I promise you, you're going to have trouble in your partnership. Not going to work, right? And so when you and I come into the family of God, we become a part of God's family, a part of God's kingdom, and a part of God's kingdom enterprise. We are brought in to become co-workers with God to get his work done in our world and to be a witness to the world around us of the fact that he is the risen Savior. He is the Redeemer and the Lord of all. And so we are to live faithfully for him and do works in the world that honor him. Those works do not earn our salvation. Our salvation, again, I need to re-emphasize this over and over again, that the work of salvation has been done for us by Jesus, but having received Jesus, you need to do something good with your life. Good works don't earn your salvation, but they do prove your salvation. They show that something has happened in your life. When you've received the grace of God in your life through Jesus, that grace should never be received in vain. Our lives should show the evidence of God's grace in our lives and in the way that we live and what we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Let me stop for a moment. Uh, you know that I'm, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, so I just like to make sure the students are always with me, right? Everybody with me so far? Okay, okay. If you're not asleep, you're with me, right? Okay, good, okay. This is not a good message to sleep in, by the way, okay? This is a good message to stay awake in. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Now, since we are God's co- What? His partners, his co-workers, Paul writes, since we are this, faithful believers, we've come to faith in Christ, since we are God's co-workers, we beg you not to take God's marvelous grace for granted, allowing it to have no effect on your lives. Don't let this grace that you received be taken for granted so that it has no impact on how you live. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Any man in Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And so when you accepted Jesus, you were born again. You became a new creation in Christ. You and I have to learn how to live as a new creation, but it happened when you were born again by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So having received salvation, God has a good work for you to do. There are assignments that he has for your life. He prepared those things specifically for you to be engaged in. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Paul, writing to Titus as a pastor here, telling him what to preach about, what to teach about, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everything. Notice again, we're encouraged to do what is good, having received Christ. Jesus himself made this statement, this important understanding that having come into his kingdom, we have responsibility 
ability to live a certain way. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Don't store up, for your, uh, store up treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So here Jesus said, make sure you're living with a set of eternal values, heavenly values, not making earth, not thinking that earth is your final destination. It is not There's a heaven that you need to be laying up treasures in. So God expects us to demonstrate his goodness in our actions, in our attitudes, in our motives, in our thoughts, and in our words. Here's our fourth point. Out of six today, our fourth point. All Christian believers, not some, but all Christian believers, me, you, all of us, who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, All Christian believers will stand before Jesus one day and give an account of their actions, their attitudes, their thoughts, their motives, and their words. This is very serious. I don't want you to get to that day and say, nobody told me about this. Nobody told me that I was going to be standing before Jesus. I'm telling you today. Okay. So that you're aware of the fact that when this day happens in your life, you can remember, oh, I remember back in April 2022, that sermon, they told me about that. I remember that day. So we don't want to be ignorant of this reality. I'm telling you today to think in these terms. Let me read the point again. All Christian believers will stand before Jesus one day and give an account of their actions, attitudes, thoughts, motives, and words. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. This is the day in court for all Christians. You will have a face-to-face encounter where you will give an account of your life to Jesus. What will you give an account of your life to? I'll cover that in just a moment. There are several things that you'll give an account of, but you must be aware of that day. This day of, this day of accounting has nothing to do again with where you're going to spend eternity, but it has everything to do with what your rewards will be in eternity. There'll be different, a differentiation of rewards that people will experience there. This face-to-face encounter is where we give an account to Jesus of several things, how we lived our lives. Listen closely. Your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts, your motives, and your words. Let me say those again. You'll give an account of these five things. What you've done, your actions, your attitudes, because your attitudes are extremely important to God, your thoughts, your thought patterns, your motives, why you've done the things that you've done. You may have done the right things for the wrong reasons, or it may, Jesus knows those aspects of your life, and your words, the words that you've spoken. And if, depending upon how you've lived your life, you will be assigned rewards in heaven from the judge. He's not there to condemn you. He's there to reward you for how you've lived your life. Now, here's the key. Whatever, whatever unconfessed sin you have in your life, whatever broken relationships you have in your life, whatever unforgiveness that you're still carrying with you when you die that goes into eternity with you that you'll give an account for. If you've committed a sin that you've asked God to forgive you for and you've already confessed that and asked for his forgiveness, he's not going to bring it up again. Aren't you glad about that? Okay. 
You're covered in the blood. Okay. He says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it's not going to be a moment of Jesus going back. Let me drag up all the junk you did in your life. No, he's not going to do that. But if you're still carrying unconfessed sin that you've not been willing to deal with in your life and attitudes that you haven't been willing to deal with, things that you've not been unrepented of in your life, broken relationships, bitterness in your heart that you haven't resolved, you're going to carry that into eternity with you and you will give an account that day for those things that have not yet been dealt with in your spiritual journey. That's why your spiritual growth is so very, very important. Take a look at the scriptures and let's see what it says about this. Romans 14, verse 12. So then, each of us, how many of us? Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Matthew 12, 36 and 37, Jesus himself, you can be sure of this. When the day of judgment comes, everyone will be held accountable. Listen to what he says here. Will be held accountable for every careless word he has spoken. I mean, you're looking for duct tape for your mouth right now, okay? (laughs) Your very words will be used as evidence, and your words will declare you either innocent or guilty. Has to do with your words. Revelation 22, 12. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Those are the words, as I mentioned a few moments ago, that I trust that every one of us here today and those watching online would say, this is what I want to hear when I get to heaven. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. But let me just remind you of something. We don't hear well done unless we've done well. Okay. And so there's a responsibility on us to live our life in a certain way as we stand in, in awareness of that day that we will stand before him. Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Paul comes to the end of his life. He knows he's going to die soon. He's aware of the fact that he's going to finish this race. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He knows he's going to die. He's anticipating his martyrdom. He's going to be killed at the hand of Nero. Now there is in store for me, knowing that I'm going to die, now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At that moment in time, you and I will give an account to the Lord of our spiritual fruitfulness, of the relationships of our life and how we handle them, our words that we've spoken, our purity of life or the impurities of our life, the assignments God gave us and whether we were faithful to those assignments or not. That's why it's important to know what God wants you to be doing with your life and to do it as well as you can our stewardship of our time, our treasure, and our talents. These are gifts that God has given to us, our time, our treasure, our talents. 
We'll give an account to God of our witness, how we've shared the good news of Jesus Christ with others. We're to live, we're to live every day in anticipation of that day. If you wake up every morning and say, you know what, I need to live today so that I'm ready for that day, it'll change the way you live. 2 Peter 3, verse 14, speaking of that day, look at what he says. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to, to this, to that day, he's referring to there, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Make every effort to make sure you're living in such a way that you're spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Number five, fifth thing. Very simple statement, but a very important one. Be ready for your day before Jesus. The time to get ready for that day is not when you're standing there. The time to get ready for that day is right now. How do we get ready? I'm going to talk to you today about how you get ready for your day in court. Are you ready for this? I'm going to share with you right now how to be ready for that day so that that day will not only not surprise you, but you'll be ready to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Several things that you need to be, or eight things I want to give you. Number one, you need to be a growing Christ follower. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you need to be growing. You need to be maturing. Don't stay a baby Christian your whole life. There are a lot of Christians who been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years, and they're, still, they're, they're no more mature today than they were when they first accepted Jesus. Are they going to heaven? Absolutely, no question about whether they're going to heaven. They haven't grown in their faith at all. They haven't learned anything about God or His Word. And they haven't taken a class or studied anything about how to apply God's Word to their lives. They're saved, yes. Are they going to heaven? Absolutely. But they haven't grown. They haven't invested in their spiritual journey. That's why Peter says... Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior of Jesus Christ. It is time for all of us to make the decision that we need to continue to grow. God is not looking for perfection in your life, but he is looking for growth in your life. Going to say that again? God is not looking for perfection in your life. He knows that we're imperfect. He knows that we're going to miss the mark from time to time. He knows there'll be moments you're going to fall flat on your face in your spiritual journey. But if you're, if you're, if you're a growing Christian, when you fall flat on your face, what do you do? You get right back up again. The righteous may fall seven times, but he rises again, the Bible says. So you might fall and slip and have those moments in your life, but you get back up and you keep going, keep learning. You learn from your mistakes in the past. You don't dwell on them, but you use them as education for your future. You don't want to remain a baby Christian your whole life. There comes a point in time in your spiritual journey when you need to trade in your bib for an apron. Okay, amen. There's a lot of Christians that are just walking around, beat with a bib, take care of me, feed me, take care of me. Take care of me. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. Okay. Is that not what a baby, that, what do they do when they're not getting their food? There's a lot of noisy Christians around. Always creating trouble and problems because they haven't grown up. And so at some point in time, it's time to get rid of your... You know, it doesn't look nice to be 70 and wearing a bib. <laughs> Actually, at 70, you might need a bib, okay? <laughs> Let's go back to 50, okay? <laughs> but the point being is that... <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. So. <laughs> Anticipation of my 70th birthday, I guess. I'm not sure. But the point being that there's a time in life when you just let go and say, I'm going to grow in my relationship. I'm going to put on an apron. I'm going to get busy serving God. I'm going to be a growing Christian. And I will tell you that when you stand before Jesus, 
your growth record's going to be there. Amen? Not your perfection record, but your growth record's going to be there. Are you growing in your faith? Number two, how do you get ready for that day? Keep a clean record with God. What does that mean? It means that when you sin, tell them about it. Don't keep going on in sin and not confessing it, not dealing with it in your life. Again, it's not an issue of trying to be perfect. It's that when you fail, you run to God. Instead of running away from God, you run to God. That's why we have verses like 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Very interesting, that word, if we confess. The Greek word for confess is the word homologeo, is the Greek term. Homo same logeo word. And so confession means homo say the same word, say the same thing about your sin that God says about it, that it's wrong, that I'm confessing this to you, God. I realize that I messed up. Keep clean accounts with God. Make sure that as soon as you're aware of the fact that you've done something that's displeased God, run to him and tell him about it. Ask him for cleansing and forgiveness. Don't let those things accumulate in your life. Number three, serve God with your abilities. Whatever ability that God has given you, serve him with it. Serve him in the church. Serve him outside the church. All of God's service doesn't happen in the church. Some of it happens in the church. We need to do the work of the church, and you need to be a servant in the house of God as God calls you and as you respond to that calling. But sometimes some of your service is not in the walls of the church. Sometimes it's outside the church. If you're, if you're a house builder, build houses to the glory of God. Amen? If you're an automotive mechanic, fix cars to the glory of God. Whatever your assignment is in life, whatever you do in life, do it to the glory of God. Whatever your work is, make sure that it's always to his glory and always to his honor. Not all of us are called to be in full-time ministry. He puts you in various places, but wherever you are, you're a missionary assigned by God. Do it to the glory of God. Okay. Number four, mend broken relationships quickly. Don't let your broken relationships remain, continue in a broken state. As soon as you realize you've got a problem with a relationship, determine that you're going to do everything within your power to fix it. Sometimes in relationships of life, other people won't let a relationship be fixed, but you can do your part to fix it. Not everyone will be fixed, but you can do your part to fix whatever needs to be there. And that leads to the next one. I'm going to tie these two together. Release offenses toward others. As soon as you have an offense, do not hold on to it. You often hear people on their deathbed calling people on into the death, beside their deathbed because they want to make peace. They want to mend relationships. Why? Because they don't want to die with a relationship broken. And if you go into heaven and you're carrying unforgiveness with you and bitterness and resentment towards somebody, the better time to deal with it is not when you're standing before Jesus and having to be confronted about the ugly bitterness that you've carried toward your brother, your sister, your family member, somebody in your life that you've been bitter against. No, go ahead and forgive it now. Go ahead and let go of it. The Bible says that our forgiveness is many, in many ways dependent upon our willingness to forgive. Jesus made it clear in his Lord's prayer. He says, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive the trespasses of others. There's a flow. If we fail to forgive, then we're blocking the flow of God's forgiveness in our lives. So do you want to be ready for that day? I'm just asking you today. Do you want to be ready for that day? If you want to be ready for that day, you've got to be a growing Christian. 
You need to keep a clean record with God. You need to serve God with your abilities to the glory of God. You need to mend your relationships quickly. You need to release any offenses you have toward other people. Don't carry that stuff around with you. Number six, you need to advance in the, you need to invest in the advance of God's kingdom and his work in his church. You need to be a part of contributing to the work of the kingdom of God in the world. God has given you, as I mentioned a moment ago, three things to contribute. Your time, your treasure, and your talents. How are you using your time to advance? God's kingdom? How are you using your treasure to advance God's kingdom? How are you using your talents? Invest in heavenly resources. Lay up treasures in heaven. Number seven, be a witness of Jesus to the world around you. Be a witness. You're a follower of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God and salvation to everyone who is believed. We need not be ashamed. Jesus went to the cross, a Calvary, uh, on the cross of Calvary, where people walked by and mocked him and spit upon him and made fun of him. And he did that for you and me. You and I need not be ashamed of our Savior. You and I need to stand tall and say, yes, I am a Christ follower. Sometimes that's going to be... Listen, you don't have to be obnoxious when you do that. In fact, you should not be obnoxious. You don't have to be weird when you do that. A lot of weird Christians give Christ the wrong, uh, give the wrong impression of what it means to be a Christian. Please, if you get weird in your Christianity, you can, you're welcome to go to another church. We just prefer that, okay? Okay. <laughs> But you and I need to stand tall and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, not just in word, but in lifestyle. Again, does that mean you're going to be perfect and everything? No, you're not. I'm not in any way saying, and nor does the scripture says that you're going to have to live your life in some level of perfection, but you're in a process of doing the best you can to share with the world around you that you are a Christ follower. Number eight, live with heavenly values and heavenly priorities. Number six, whatever our eternal rewards, whatever reward you receive in heaven from Jesus for any good you've done in your life, they will be turned into the praise of Jesus, the only worthy one. I hope you got that. Let's say you receive, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a reward. Here's a crown for this, and I'm crowning you for that. I will promise you, I will assure you that there's only one star in heaven. And what I mean by that is this, whatever rewards you may receive on that day, you're going to quickly recognize that whatever good has been done in your life came from a life through which and in which God was working through his grace and through his mercy. You'll realize it really was never about me. It only happened because God was at work in me. And so I deserve none of the rewards. I give all the praise and all the glory and all the honor right back to Jesus Christ again. Okay. The Bible says that we will lay our crowns at his feet because there's only one who is worthy. Listen to John's statement in Revelation chapter 4 as I conclude here today. John's writing, he's talking about his experience in the heavenly realms. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in, the heaven, in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here. I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. 
Well, we know who that is, right? Jesus. The one sitting on the throne, Jesus, was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. Doesn't heaven sound beautiful? In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, what are they saying? You're worthy. O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Dear ones, when you and I stand before Jesus that day, at that moment of the judgment seat of Christ, and you have that moment, that face-to-face with Jesus, you have the opportunity where things that need to be reviewed in your life or my life are reviewed, And then perhaps there's that moment when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm giving you the crown of, and whatever that crown might be, I assure you that at the moment that we receive that crown, the very next thing that we'll do is we'll hit our knees and we'll throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus, realizing that we could have done nothing apart from him. That every crown that came our way came because of his grace that was at work in our lives. And there's only one in heaven who is worthy, worthy, is the one that was slain. And we know, as Jesus reminded us in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we'll bow before him and say, worthy, worthy is the one who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Are you prepared for that day? Are you ready to live your life in such a way that As that day comes, you'll you'll be able to present your crowns to Jesus, having lived a life that brings glory and honor to him. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray today? Father, we thank you. We come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, realizing that we are here today simply by your grace. You've saved us and redeemed us, not because we deserve it or by our good works, but because of what you've done for us. And thank you, Lord, that having been redeemed and saved and having received your grace, we want to let that grace work in us and through us. We want to be growing Christians. We want to make sure that we're keeping good accounts with you. We want to let go of any bitterness or resentment in our lives, any unforgiveness that we're holding on to. 
And Jesus, we want to serve you effectively as a witness, bringing glory to you through everything that we do. Remind us, Lord, to live every day in light of that day. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.